0: Today's daf is Daf Yud in Masechet Ta'anit. We are on the first line of Daf Yud uh, Amud Aleph. Tanehu Rav Eretz Yisrael nivret tekhila, b'chol haolam kulo nivral levasof. Eretz Yisrael was created first, and the rest of the world was created afterwards. Shnei mar, Ad lo asa eretz vechutzot. Because it says, before Hashem made Eretz vechutzot. Uh, when it describes the creation of the world, and it says that, um, that Hashem existed. Ad lo asa eretz vechutzot. Before he made the land and the outskirts, so it says, Eretz v'chutzot, implying that it's referring to uh, uh, Eretz Yisrael first, and then the rest of the world. Eretz Yisrael, Mashkel Targadosh Baruch Hu Hashem directly waters, brings the rain to Eretz Yisrael. The rest of it, the rest of the world, is taken care of by a messenger. Shneimah and Matar Pnei because it says Hashem. Uh, puts out the water over the face of Eretz, and here Eretz is of course referring to Eretz Israel, and that says, and he sends the water on the outskirts, so again, he sends the water to the rest of the world, only Eretz Israel gets it directly from Hashem. The land of Israel drinks directly from the water of uh, rain, rainwater, and everything else is from the runoff of the rainwater of Eretz Yisrael. As we saw before, Hashem places the rain on the land, and then He sends water uh, to the outskirts. So again, that's showing you that it is a leftover from Eretz Yisrael uh, that goes to the rest of uh, the rest of the world. The Eretz uh, Yisrael, uh, the land of Israel, drinks first, and the rest of the world is next. The same pasuk again. In other words, it shows the primacy of Eretz Yisrael over the other lands with regard to rain. It gets first. It's like a person who makes cheese. That first he uh, takes what is the uh, good part, in other words, the part that that uh, became cheese, and then he leaves over the leftover, whatever is the waste product he leaves afterwards. So it's saying that the primary gift of rain goes to Eretz Yisrael. Uh, as the, uh, we said before, uh, that we saw about whether the rainwater really begins in the ocean and then goes up to the clouds and comes back down, or whether it begins... In the sky, and one of the issues was that we see that the rainwater is not salty, and seawater is salty. So uh, the so uh, the answer that Rabbi Eliezer gave to that problem was that. Uh, that the the clouds sweeten the rainwater. So the question is, Minali, where did he get that from? Rabbi Yosef. Because Rabbi Yosef said, Rabbi Yochanan, and Rabbi Yochanan ketiv, cheshkat mayim avish Because in one pasuk it says, the darkness of the clouds, the thickness of the heavens, meaning the thickness of the clouds, uchitiv cheshrat mayim avish with the resh instead of a kaf. These are psukim that appear in the Song of David, which is one of the few things that, uh, one of the few passages, uh, lengthy passages in Tanakh, that appears twice. It appears once in the Book of Shemuel and once in the Book of Teilem. And in one place it says cheshkat, and in one place it says chashrat. So the uh, so the question is, what is the uh, what are we learning from there? So uh, he says shekol kaf v'shaderesh, move the kaf in front of the resh. v'karebe It should say like chachsharat. It perfects. It completes. It qualifies the water. In other words, it's referring there to the um, it's referring there to the uh, to the clouds. And he's saying that if, since you see that there's a word in one place it says chashrat, one place it says chashrat, and you see that the kaf is in a different position, um, and then the, the rash, in other words, if you combine those two words and overlap them, so to speak, you'll get chasharat and it'll come out that it means that the rain that the rain is purified, basically, in the clouds. Rabbi Yoshua, what does Rabbi Yoshua do with those, those Pesukim? Since he doesn't maintain that the clouds are purifying the rain, what does he say? He maintains, like Rabbi Yoshua said, that he said, that they said in the West, if you have bright clouds, in other words, light-colored clouds, it's very little rain. If you have dark clouds, that means there is going to be a lot of rain. In other words, one of them says chashwat. one of them says Chash- cheshkat. So he says when it's when the uh, so he learns from the pasukah, says chashvat. That means uh, a light type of a cloud. Um, that uh, but when it says cheshkat, dark. That's when it's going to be a lot of. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of water. So now the um, and that's from the word cheshkat, which means a dark cloud. So Rashi says when there's a very weak cloud, like cloud, Right from the dark one is going to be a lot. Right, but if it's uh, if it's light, it's going to be little. So it's like uh, soaking. The word chashrat. when it talks about soaking. Uh, when it soaks the uh, 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 the, uh, he talks about not soaking dye on Shabbat. And, um, he says, that's what Rabbi Yoshua says. You need the word cheshkat one way or another. In other words, that doesn't really require Rishon. only the extra one does. So, Heshrat is saying, is telling you that, uh, that when there's a dark cloud, it's going to be a lot of rain, and when it's a light cloud, it's going to be a, a lighter rain, less rain. What, are we, what is the following bright that us? Titania? Uh, who, whose opinion is the following bright? That the upper waters are held up there by the divine decree, and their fruits are rainwater. Because it says, from the fruit of your actions, uh, from the fruit of your work The uh, the land is satisfied So it sounds like Hashem has water Suspended up in the heavens so, okay, That would be like Rabbi Yoshua. Because Rabbi Yoshua Is the one who said That Hashem stores the rain above And it comes down From there initially So then that would make sense That's not talking about The rain water that's above That's just talking about The creations of God And uh, in general Diktib, as I'm um uh, who diktihtib. So the and so in, and the others when it says Mi Puma Secha, it's from the from the work of your hands the land is satisfied, that's talking about all of the creations of God, not only uh rain. So now uh devi shadow said colouram column seed ganed W Shote every the entire world drinks is sustained from the runoff, the leftover from Ganedin. Shinemah Vinao Yotem because it says that a river comes from Eden. Because it says, from the runoff of a Beit Kur, a Tarkav uh, can drink. In other words, it means to say, Rashi says, The amount of water that you, you know, if you would put into a vessel, the amount of water that's necessary to water a Beit which is a large uh, uh, large area, what's run what runs off, what's left over, will be the amount of a Tarkav, 160th, basically. So it's saying, the world is 160th of Gan Eden, and receives one-sixtieth of the rain, the leftover from Gan Eden. And now, Tanur Rabbanon, the rabbi, so, Mitzrayim, av yadad me'ol parsa, av yad me'ol parsa. Eretz Mitzrayim is 400 parsa by 400 parsa. Vehu e'chad b'shishim be'kush, and it's one-sixtieth of kush. Ve'kush e'chad b'shishim ba'olam, and kush is one-sixtieth of the world. Ve'olam e'chad b'shishim be'gan, and the the world is one-sixtieth of the gan. Ve'gan e'chad b'shishim le'iden, and the gan itself is one-sixtieth of Gan Eden. Eden e'chad b'shishim le'genam. And Eden is one sixtieth of Geinam. That means that the entire world is like a a, the top of a pot on top of Geinam. Geinam is huge and enormous, and uh, the universe compared to the world compared to uh, Eden is tiny. And uh, but Eden itself compared to uh, Geinam is tiny. Some say that Gainam has no measurement. Some say Eden has no measurement. These are all, of course, deep ideas that are uh, uh, encoded here by the rabbis in this uh, very, very esoteric form. We don't have the time in the daf Yomik to go into the depth of what they mean. Rabbi Yoshea says, What does it mean? What does it mean when it says that it rests on, uh, it actually says, rabat says, that you dwell on much water, Rabat Otsarot, that uh, many are your storehouses. Migrom bavel Shu Otsot Oh What caused the to Babel is talking about Bavel Hashem is talking to Babel here. So what, what? the the Navi Yermia was talking to Babel. So what is it? What caused Babel to have full storehouses filled with Grain. It's because it rests on lots of water. In other words, since it's not dependent upon rainfall, it has plentiful water, therefore it always has lots of grain. Rab says, Atira Bavel, Te Chatzda Bela Mitra. Atira Bavel is rich, Te Chatzda Mitra, because they can harvest even when there's no rain, because they have irrigation on the ground that they don't need to depend on the rain. He says, He said, We have a principle. Better to be inundated with water, have too much water then to have, meaning to have a place that there's a lot of water and mud, then to be in a very dry place that you're dependent too much on the rain because that creates problems and creates hardship and and, uh, and, and lots of stress. The Mishnah says, We start asking for rain on the 3rd of Mar This is, of course, talking about an area of Sisrael. Rabban Gamliel says on the 7th, we, we start asking exactly 15 days after Sukkot, so that the last Jew who came for Aliyah L'Regel, who came to visit the Beit HaMikdash, for Sukkot can get to at least the Euphrates River before rain starts. So we don't start asking for rain, it would be rude while the travelers are still in transit. The says, When it comes to the diaspora, the 60th day from the uh, from the autumnal equinox, basically from the uh, from the, uh, from, the uh, from the beginning of autumn. Now, the the that was the uh, that was the rule, in, uh, in based upon Bavim. Now w- we nowadays in the diaspora don't start asking for rain until the third or fourth of December or the fifth of December actually, fourth or fifth of December nowadays. And the reason is because it's sixty days after the Tkufa, bringing the Tkufa, meaning that the that would mean that the autumnal equinox is um, it goes uh, you know would begin would begin. Around the beginning of October Because you're talking about October to November to December It's 60 days afterwards Now in reality we know that fall begins closer to September 21st So really the 60 days after the Tukufah should be somewhere closer To November 21st or November 22nd or something like that Um, it It shouldn't really be in the beginning of December However, because the Halakha was fixed according to an older calendar, what's called the Julian calendar. And nowadays, we follow the Gregorian calendar. The Julian calendar and the Gregorian calendar differ in a very, very subtle way from one another. But this very, very subtle way that they differ over centuries ends up creating larger and larger gaps. And so every... Uh, century or so, with some exceptions. It's a very complicated matter. I don't want to go too much into it in the Dafyomi. But every century, sometimes it could be longer, um, uh, the the gap increases between the two um, between the two uh, calendars because the Gregorian calendar has a correction incorporated into it that the Julian calendar doesn't. So a way to think of it is that if somebody's following the Julian calendar, they don't get up to September 21st until... The beginning of October, or you could say they don't get up to the end of November until the beginning of December, and therefore that's when the tfufa, uh we, we uh, that's when the asking for rain begins in the beginning of December because of that uh, discrepancy. Even la havdil many have the lot in the Christian world. There are some churches that still follow the Julian calendar, and that's why you might know that there are some people that celebrate the holiday that is normally celebrated on December 25th by most, most Christians. They celebrate it in the beginning of January because they're following the Julian calendar, and uh, that, that's the same uh, concept of a gap in time between the two calendars that we experience when we start asking for rain in the beginning of December. Now, the question is like this. Well, and what was the reason for that? The reason for that was because in the Gola, especially in Baville, they didn't need rain so much. So therefore, they didn't have to start asking for rain so early. Only 60 days into the season. So in the last one, he said the halacha is like chananya. He said the halacha is like chananya. He said the halacha is like chananya. Didn't they want to ask Shmuel, when should we start asking for rain? And he said, when they start bringing wood to Beit Tavut, Rishba, who was a, uh, he would gather wood. He was a hunter who would gather wood. It says, He was a hunter who would that they would, from the time that they started collecting wood, because they knew that the rain was coming, um, when they knew that that was coming to that par- time of the season, they would, uh, they would um, gather uh, wood into the storehouses. So when Tavut, who was actually a hunter, would start gathering wood, you would know that was a signal that the rainy season was coming up soon, and therefore they would start to, uh, they would start to ask for rain. So the question is, uh, t- 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 sh- how could Shmuel say that we go by 60 days after the tkufa, after the season begins, when really he's saying we should go by this other signal? So the Gemrach says, It's not necessarily such a strong question, because it could be that it's the same time. When did they start collecting the wood and storing it for the winter? Around 60 days after the, the fall season began. By the they asked a question. When you say the 60th day, do you mean starting on day 60 or after 60 days? So the question is, Rab says the 60th day is like after the 60th day, meaning you start asking for rain actually on the 60th day. Shmuel says no, the 60th day is like before the 60th. In other words, you start after the 60th day. How can you remember this? You can remember it because uh, those who are high up, Want, need rain, or ask for rain, and those who are below don't need rain. So what does that mean? As she explains, those who live in the mountains, they need water more because the water runs off and goes below. But those who are down, who are below the mountain, they don't need to, they don't need it as much because it comes down to them from the mountains. So in Eretz Right, so therefore he was in a higher elevation, and therefore he had more of a sensitivity, and he wanted to start asking for rain a day earlier. Shmuel, who was living in Bavil, asked to for the rain a day later. But the uh, the uh, as the Gemara says, Mm -hmm. is that the sixtieth day, not the sixty first. In other words, not after sixty days, but the sixtieth day itself. That in the diaspora, they begin to ask for rain, the Mishnah says, you die in If the seventeenth of Marcheshvan comes, when there still hasn't been any rain, the individuals, meaning the the leaders, they would begin to fast three fasts. They would be able to eat and drink at night, and they were allowed to do mulachah to work." To wash, to anoint themselves, to put on leather shoes, and even to have marital relations. But so it was like a day fast, like the day fasts that we do today, not including the night before, and not with all the stringencies. If for Shkorsh Kislev rolls around, and there still hasn't been any rain, then the Bedin declares three fasts ala on everybody. Then then the entire community now has a fast that they have to observe three fasts. Um, we'll see more details about them in the ensuing Gemarot, but basically they can eat and drink at nighttime, and they're allowed to work, they're allowed to wash, they're allowed to anoint, they're allowed to wear leather shoes, and they're allowed to have marital relations. So basically, just like the Yechidim, just like the fast of the Chachamim before, they have three fasts as well. The people have three fasts as well, if Rosh Chodesh has passed without any rain. Now the Gemara says, Man Yechidim, who are these individuals? It means the rabbis. Yechidim, shatan, yod shene, clarified that these individuals Fast three fast Monday Thursday Monday Ma'ika Mashmalan What is the We already learned that we never start a series, a fast on the, on the Thursday purposely why because what happens is because it causes the prices to go up too much meaning because what will happen is since it's already almost Shabbat plus there's a fast that day it's going to end up uh, causing people to go looking for even more food on the Thursday so as she says that uh, people would get people would buy a lot of food both for concluding the fast as well as for Shabbat and that would overwhelm the market and cause the uh, demand to ha- be higher than the supply and make the prices go up. So we don't start, we don't initiate a fast series on a Thursday, always on a Monday. So what's the Chidush? But rather it has to tell you that these three fasts are uh, uh, Monday, Thursday, Monday. So, the So, therefore, the reason why I had to mention um, in our mission, or oh, the reason why our phone had to mention this, that we also start with the Monday, Thursday, Mondays is because you might have said that that idea that you can't start a f- series of fasts on a Thursday is only for the community, because the community will actually put pressure. On the markets and cause the prices to go up. But for individuals, just the Chachamim, they're not going to have such a big impact financially, and so therefore you don't have to worry about uh, them starting a series of fasts on Thursday. So the, so the Gemara comes to tell you, Afuna comes to tell you that no, even they start on a Monday, not on a Thursday. Now the Gemara goes on. Like Afunah says, when they start these fasts, it's a Monday, Thursday, Monday. If they run into a Rosh Chodesh, Then they stop. We've learned before, Megillat Tanit was a list of minor holidays that the rabbis uh, observed beginning in the Baitcheni period. Uh, Most of those holidays became obsolete, uh, became, uh, you know, no longer practiced. But in those times when they were practiced, they would not observe the fast if it fell out on one of those days. A person shouldn't say, I'm only a student. I'm not on the level of the rabbis that I should be fasting. All Tambedecha Chachamim are considered Yechidim, individuals, meaning special individuals. What is actually the definition of a difference between a Yechid, who we're calling here one of the Tambedecha Chachamim and a regular student? A Yechid is somebody who could be a leader. He has enough qualifications to be a leader. כי do שאר הדורות דבר but the student is somebody that if you ask him something about what he's learning right now, he'll be able to say it. Mm-hmm. Even the Masechet that everyone is learning and the Masechet Kala is referring, according to most Mepharshim, is referring to the Masechet that everybody was learning to because they would have these Yarchei Kala, they would have these months of study, like these sort of like conventions where everybody would get together, they would prepare certain material and they would learn together. So even that, that everybody's learning, that's just part of the curriculum everyone's doing, if they know the answers to it, they're called the talmid. If they know, uh, if they're on the level that they could actually be uh, appointed as a leader They know enough That's beyond just knowing What they're learning right now So then The uh, uh, So then uh, That's called The person who's able to answer anything And able to give leadership So That's uh, That's the person who is uh, Called a Talmid Chacham Is called a Yachid A Talmid is somebody who knows What he's learning right now Not everybody who wants to be a Yachid wants to be special Can be Talmid, Oseb, but if he wants to be a Talmid, it's okay. Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir says that a person can follow the restrictions of the Talmid, even if they're not on that level, but they shouldn't follow them. They can't all uh, claim to be a yachid. Rabbi Yossi, Omer, Oseb, is all he says, why not? Why not be on the level of a yachid? And it's good for him. Because the fact of the matter is that over here we're talking about somebody um, that uh, is, is going to torture himself. Uh, in other words, according to Rabbi Meir, you can pretend to be a talmid, and whatever restrictions or requirements are expected of a talmid, you could keep them because it's not such a big deal. But to pretend to be a talmid chacham, you can't do that. And since only the talmid chachamim were uh, fasting, you you know you shouldn't do it because it looks like you're showing off. Rabbi Yoss says, no, here since it's about fasting, it's not about a pleasure and enjoyment. So therefore, you cannot. Um, you should. You can imitate the chachamim if you want to be one of the chachamim and fast with them. It's okay. Right, So uh, the, interestingly, Rashi, uh, which we know is only a pseudo-Rashi and Tanid, brings another version where it says if he wants to be a, uh, one of the Yechidim or one of the Talmidim, he cannot, according to Rabbi Meir. That's a different version that says because there were certain uh, special privileges also that the Talmidim had that a person would be laying claim to um, by, by pretending to be a Talmid. But in any case, the point is that if a person wants to participate in this fast, there's a at whether he's allowed to do it because it's only, it's only causing himself pain or if he still shouldn't do it, because, um, because he's not really on the level and it looks like he's showing off. Now, so it says, if a person, not everybody who wants to be one of the Yechidim can do it, but if he wants to be a Talmid, he could. And again, according to the other version of Rashi, it would say that neither of them. You can't be either, in any case, more than you really are. Okay? So he's saying like Rabbi Yossi said basically When is that true? Only when it's a praise to him But if he wants to torture himself It's not a praise for him It's a pain for him To have to follow this uh, Observe these fasts So on one hand You could say that psychologically By identifying Pretending to be one of the Chachamim There's a certain arrogance in that But since what he's taking upon himself Something painful Something suffering We don't really consider it To be an advantage or a privilege To engage in that According to So simply that's the machloket. Do we say That the fact that he's taking for himself, the title of a yachid is itself arrogant. Or we look at in w- what through what he's taking the title, and s- since what he's doing to take the title is engaging in something which is actually suffering, so therefore we allow him to do it if he wants to take that stringency upon himself. Now the Gemara goes on. If a person was fasting for a certain uh, crisis and it passed, Uh, for a sick person, and they got healed, since he accepted the fast upon himself, he has to finish it. If a person went from a place that they had not decreed a fast, to a place where everyone's fasting, he has to obviously fast with them. If in his town they were fasting and he went to a place where they're not fasting, since he started in a place in his hometown where they were fasting, he has to finish the fast, even though he came to a place where they're not fasting. If a person made it, forgot. And he ate and drank. He shouldn't be in front of the community, showing that he's feeling good. And he should not in he should not treat himself with idunim. She says, "Since I ate a little bit, I'll eat a lot." In other words, since he's already feeling satisfied, he shouldn't walk around and. Uh, and, and show that he's feeling good when everyone else is feeling bad. And moreover, he should not say, well, once I ate, I should just finish eating and enjoy myself. Right? Like Yaakov said to his sons, why are you titro? Why are you showing off, so to speak? Meaning what? Literally, it means why are you looking at each other and not doing anything. But he's saying, why are you showing off? Don't make it seem like you guys are feeling good because there was a famine in the land at that time. Don't make it look like you're full. Uh, not because, not in front of not in front of Ishmael. So they won't be jealous of you because if they see that you're feeling good, they're going to be jealous of you. So you should not, when other people are suffering, uh, show yourself to be very satisfied. It says. Uh, this is when Yosef was sending his brothers home after he revealed his identity. He said to them on their way home, don't fight on the way home. Yosef said to his brothers, don't get involved in a discussion of halacha. Because maybe you'll make a mistake, you'll get lost on the way. In other words, focus on getting home and telling my father that I'm still alive. Don't get involved in a halachic discussion. You're going to lose your way. Any, is that true? Then Rabbi Eli, the son of Baruchia, says, Then he said that two two scholars of Torah who walk on the way and they don't have any between them. They should be burnt. As it says, This is talking about Eliyahu and Elisha. At the end of Eliyahu's life, it says, As they were walking around, it says, They were walking. And all of a sudden what happened was that there was a chariot of fire with horses of fire and they split between them. And then Eliyahu goes up to heaven of course. What happened? The reason why they were saved from that fiery char- chariot was because what it says they were walking and talking. They were talking. But if they had not been talking? Then instead of the chariot passing through them and and y'all going to heaven, they would have been burnt up. So what do you see from that? That on the way home, how could Yosef tell his brothers not to be involved in Divray Torah? It's an obligation for chachamim when they're walking together to be involved in divrei tovah. It depends if they're going over what they know, reciting it, reviewing it. That's okay, but to get involved in a deep conversation and analysis then they lose track of what they're doing what's going on around them and they'll get lost we learned in a break. a person should not take an overly large step in the matter uh, in a, when, when he's walking and you should always arrive at your destination while it's still light outside you shouldn't take overly large steps the master said Because the master said that 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 taking very large steps when you walk reduces the light of a person's eyes by one five hundredth. In other words, it diminishes your energy, right? You should always get in to the city while it's still sunny out, while it's still light out. A person should always go out and he should come in and he should come in when it's What does mean? Because it's meaning that the, the light, Hashem called the light Tov. He said, It's saying it should, you should leave the city when it's light, should arrive when it's light. Like it says regarding the brothers of Yosef, the, 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 uh, when the light of the morning came, they were sent out. And when a person is traveling on the way, you should not eat more than you eat during a famine. My time, what's the reason? Here they explained it because of stomach issues. Because you could have stomach issues on the way because you ate too much. And then when you're walking on the way, you're going to get sick and you're going to have uh, diarrhea or whatever. Because you're, the exertion after eating is going to make you sick. That's on. But in Israel, they said, Because you might run out of food. And so you should save your food. You're on the way. You're you're traveling. You don't know if you might run... The next time you're going to be able to find food. What's the difference between them? If you're traveling on a boat, and therefore you're not exerting yourself, you're sitting on the boat, so then if the issue is about exertion, eating followed by exertion, that you might get sick, it wouldn't be an issue. If the issue is running out of food, it could still be an issue because you don't know how long you're going to be on the boat. If you're going from uh, one place to another, you're going from like... uh, one village um, in to another village in. In other words, you know you're going from hotel to hotel, so you don't have to worry there about whether there's going to be enough food because you know you'll be able to get enough food in the place that you're arriving. But you could still cause yourself, um, you could still cause yourself stomach problems since you're exerting yourself after eating. Rav Papa called Parsa parsa Achil Rav Papa, every Parsa that he traveled, he ate uh, one bread. Why? Because, because he thought that the only reason uh, about the concern of traveling while eating was uh, because of the stomach issues. And she explains, Since he knew that his, his system was good and he wouldn't get sick from having exertion, after. He had a very wide stomach, a big stomach, so his digestion was smooth even when he exerted himself, is what Ashi uh, is saying. And so therefore, the uh, he didn't worry about, if it were a concern about running out of food, then he wouldn't have done that because running out of food could happen to anybody. But if it's a concern about stomach issues, since he knew himself that he wouldn't have a stomach issue, he would eat a loaf of bread, every parsa, not worrying about any negative effects while traveling.